Hey everybody! You are listening to the Creative BioLevs podcast, the show that introduces the basics about stem cells and their broad applications. Please contact us if you have any questions or suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to follow the latest updates. Dear friends in the audience, you are welcome to listen to our program on time every Saturday night. Today, our guest on the podcast is Dr. Benjamin Smith, who is well known to us. Let's welcome him with a warm round of applause. Would you like to say hello to our audience, Dr. Smith? Good evening, all dear followers of this podcast. Good evening, Connie. It's wonderful to see you again. Thank you for your kind invitation. I'm very excited to be here. Human embryonic stem cells are a type of primitive pluripotent stem cells isolated from the inner cell mass of the human blastocyst and can be cultured in vitro. These pluripotent cells have the potential to give rise to restricted progenitor cells or differentiated cell types in vitro, which can be used therapeutically to repair human tissues damaged by trauma or disease. So, what are the significant benefits of successfully transforming human embryonic stem cells into the appropriate neural cell types? Successfully converting human embryonic stem cells into the appropriate neural cell types holds promising potential for repairing neural tissue damaged in various human diseases, such as multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or spinal cord injury. One approach to achieve this goal is to employ differentiation protocols that mimic the extrinsic and intrinsic cues involved in neural cell type formation during embryonic development. Indeed, there have been successful protocols for differentiating embryonic stem cells into transplantable motor neurons in mice. Could you provide an example? What does this mean for the study of differentiating embryonic stem cells into other types of neurons? Certainly. One of these protocols is based on a comprehensive understanding of the developmental mechanisms underlying embryonic spinal cord formation. A similar approach has guided subsequent efforts to differentiate embryonic stem cells into other specific types of neurons. For instance, retinal photoreceptors, cerebellar granular neurons, and cerebral type neurons utilize glutamate, gamma-aminobutyric acid, or dopamine as their principal neurotransmitters. Therefore, in this episode, I would like to provide a brief overview of how neural progenitors initially arise during embryonic development. I hope you will find it interesting. I am certainly looking forward to it. So, where would you like to begin, doctor? Let's start by understanding embryonic induction and the establishment of neural tissue. When the ectoderm, also known as the outermost germ layer, forms the neural plate on the dorsal side of the embryo, Embryonic cells acquire neural potential shortly after gastrulation. Subsequently, the neuroepithelial cells of the neural plate form a tube that surrounds a central lumen, extending along the embryo's anterior-posterior axis. This process gives rise to dividing progenitors that differentiate into the three major cell types, constituting the central nervous system, neurons, myelinating oligodendrocytes, and supporting astralia. For simplicity, these restricted embryonic precursors are commonly referred to as neuroepithelial cells, although they are often termed neural progenitors or neural stem cells. 
Alongside the neural plate, other crucial progenitor cell populations arise in regions of the ectoderm located ventrally in the embryo. These include neural crest cells, migrating progenitors that generate neural and non-neural cell types, placental structures containing neural precursors of sensory ganglia, and neurons in the ear and nose. The ventralmost ectoderm forms the precursors of non-neural tissue, particularly the skin. That makes sense. I've heard that induced interactions play a significant role in dividing the ectoderm into these distinct regions. How has the importance of these interactions been revealed? The significance of induced interactions was revealed through classical transplantation experiments conducted on amphibian embryos in the early 20th century. For example, the ectoderm that detaches from the embryo develops into only the skin. However, when this same tissue interacts with a region of the embryo known as the organizer, it can be induced to form a complete nervous system. Subsequently, this process, referred to as neural induction, was also observed in chicken and mouse embryos. It is now considered a crucial event in establishing neural progenitors in all vertebrates, including human embryos. I see. Based on assays developed by embryologists, the molecular basis of embryonic induction became a subject of intense research at the end of the 20th century. What were some notable findings from these studies? These studies yielded important insights into the role of different growth factor families in embryonic induction. Members of the transforming growth factor beta, fibroblast growth factor, and W into superfamilies were identified as key signaling molecules during embryonic induction. For instance, growth factor signaling occurs prior to gastrulation and plays a critical role in inducing mesodermal derivatives. As a result, embryonic cells in the blastula stage are exposed to nodal-related members of the transforming growth factor beta superfamily or fibroblast growth factors, which induce the production of mesodermal derivatives like muscle, blood, or notochordal cells. That's fascinating. What happens when other members of the transforming growth factor beta superfamily, such as bone morphogenetic proteins, determine cell fate? When it comes to cell fate determination, the response of embryonic cells to bone morphogenetic proteins changes as gastrulation begins. During gastrulation, bone morphogenetic proteins produced by ectodermal cells specify the fate of the ventral ectoderm, leading to the formation of epidermis. However, in the dorsal ectoderm, bone morphogenetic protein signaling is inhibited by certain molecules produced by the organizer. This inhibition allows the dorsal ectodermal cells to avoid an epidermal fate and instead form neural tissue. Thus, through a series of signaling events that promote differentiation along non-neural lineages, embryonic cells acquire neural potential. This process is commonly referred to as the default model for neural induction. Would you mind summarizing the model in a few sentences? Not at all. After fertilization, a region of the early embryo known as the ectoderm or epiblast responds to inductive signals as development progresses. During the blastocyst stage, these signals, including growth factors like fibroblast growth factor, WNTS, and nodal-related families, induce the formation of mesodermal derivatives in the posterior part of the embryo. At gastrula stages, bone morphogenetic proteins induce the ventral ectoderm to become epidermis. However, 
Inhibition of bone morphogenetic protein signaling by extracellular inhibitors in the dorsal ectoderm allows the formation of neural tissue instead. Thus, by avoiding signaling events that promote non-neural differentiation, embryonic cells acquire neural potential. This process is known as the default model for neural induction. That's very impressive. So, what further insights can we gain from the molecular analysis of embryo induction? The molecular analysis of embryo induction has revealed several important concepts regarding how embryonic cells assume specific fates in response to growth factor signaling. It has become evident that the response of embryonic cells to specific growth factors is highly dependent on the context in which they are present. For instance, embryonic cells may only respond to nodal-related signals for a limited period before losing this response or responding in a different manner to form mesoderm. Additionally, the response of embryonic cells to growth factor signaling is often concentration-dependent, with different cell fates emerging in response to different levels of the same factor. Finally, the analysis of neural induction has emphasized the significance of mechanisms that inhibit growth factor signaling in cell fate decisions. For example, potent neural inducers are extracellular inhibitors of bone morphogenetic protein signaling. Therefore, the fate of embryonic cells directed towards the neural lineage may rely heavily on the timing, dosage, and presence of inhibitors that modulate various growth factors signaling pathways. Can you highlight any notable changes in ectodermal cells as they acquire neural potential? As ectodermal cells acquire neural potential, they activate the expression of key transcription factors. These transcription factors, such as SOX2, often serve as markers for neural progenitors. In addition to marking these cells, SOX2 also plays a role in maintaining neuroepithelial cells as neural progenitors. According to the default model, inhibition of bone morphogenetic protein signaling is necessary for SOX2 expression. However, it is possible that other positive factors are required to activate and sustain SOX2 expression, thereby inducing a neural plate identity. What are these positive factors? Can you provide an example? Certainly. For instance, fibroblast growth factor signaling, mediated through the mitogen-activated protein kinase pathway, is known to play a crucial role. In experiments conducted on chickens, fibroblast growth factor proved remarkably effective in inducing neural tissue and epiblast cells located near the neural plate. In frog embryos, extracellular inhibitors of bone morphogenetic protein signaling were able to neuralize the ventral ectoderm only when fibroblast growth factor signaling was also active. Therefore, fibroblast growth factor signaling is essential for maintaining neural precursor cells in culture and regulating their differentiation in vivo. It's worth noting that fibroblast growth factor and WNTS may facilitate neural induction by suppressing bone morphogenetic protein signaling levels while promoting bone morphogenetic protein-independent events that facilitate the neuralization of embryonic cells. Well, that concludes our discussion for today. I have learned a great deal. Let's thank Dr. Smith for his insightful scientific sharing. Thank you all for listening. We'll bring you more intriguing topics in our next program. See you next time. Thank you very much. I hope to see you next time.